for those of you who don't know me, as Nick mentioned, I am uh, the founding pastor of the church. My wife and I came here in 1984 in January and uh, planted this church here and started it. Um, and it's been our pleasure to watch it grow and uh, to see all of you here. I know a lot of you don't know me. And this might be the first time you've heard my voice even. Some of you know me by maybe a picture or something, but uh, we have never even maybe had a conversation together. But I do know this, I know what it feels like to pastor a church. And I know the pressure that can come on pastors. And I encourage you, if you haven't been, that you pray for your pastor. He'll be coming back. And that you, you should be praying for him on a regular basis. Because, you know, he's in leadership. And it's one thing to lead in the secular world, but when you lead in the church world, you face something that a lot of secular leaders do not face. You face spiritual pressure. You face someone who wants you to fail. And you should be praying for your pastor that God would protect him, God would give him vision and his family and that he would walk strong and faithful in him because I've been a Christian long enough that I've watched fat pastors fall. And when they fall, others fall. I've watched churches close because a pastor fell. And so I can't encourage you enough as Pastor Chris comes back and as Pastor Nick is here and Pastor John is looking for where God wants him to go, that um, you would keep them in prayer along with the staff of the church. As Nick mentioned, today and next week we continue the Gospel of Mark and we'll be finishing as we walk through this book. The first 13 chapters of this book, we have found that Jesus is moving about in the, the general realm of all of Israel at that time. Sometimes he's up in Capernaum, sometimes he's in Nazareth, sometimes he's you know, down in Jerusalem, he, he might be in the Decapolis, he could be all over the place where he was preaching. But as we come to the closing chapters of Mark, we find that Jesus is in one location. And he goes there, and we're gonna put a map up here on the screen, and he spends the remainder of his earthly life here before he gives his life in these two places. And as you look at that map, you see that he, you see Bethany, Bethage, which we are not really sure where Bethage was, but we know it was along here someplace, and the city of Jerusalem here. And when Jesus came in to Jerusalem on the triumphant entry, he went to Bethany first, and then on that Sunday he went up took this route most likely and down through the, the uh, Mount of Olives and came into Jerusalem. That night, Jesus went back to Bethany. He did not stay in Jerusalem. The next day, Monday, he gets up and he goes back to Jerusalem and he teaches there. That night, he goes back to Bethany. He does not stay in Jerusalem. And on Tuesday, he does the same thing. In fact, one Tuesday is where we find that he gave the majority, much of his teaching during that last week. It was on Tuesday, and he had to be wore out, 
and he goes back to Bethany as he goes along the way. Now, most Bible scholars think that possibly Jesus didn't go to Jerusalem on Wednesday, that he stayed in the Bethany area. And he stayed there, and I would think maybe that makes a lot of sense because Jesus was wore out from the teaching and he knew what was before him. And he, on that Wednesday, thing happened. And so I've been asked as, uh, to preach on Mark 14, 1, to find a message through 15, 15. And if you look at that passage of scripture, you'll find that Mark 14 is the longest chapter in the Gospel of Mark. 87 verses. And then, well, I shouldn't say that, not 87. Um, it wasn't quite that many, but with the next 15 chapter verses in chapter 15, it's 87 verses, I believe it is, to, to bring a message. And so as we've been going through this, we haven't been going through it verse by verse, explaining everything. Usually the, the speaker pick, picks out a, a certain portion in a certain set of chapters, and this is what I was this is what I was assigned to. Well, in these chapters, things begin to happen rather quickly and rather importantly to all of us. And I'm just going to go down through here, and this is, this is what happens in this passion, this portion of Scripture. First of all, Jesus is anointed during a meal. The second thing, Judas decides to betray Jesus. The third, the Passover meal with the disciples. The fourth, the institution of the Lord's Supper. The fifth, Jesus foretells Peter will deny him. Jesus praying in Gethsemane then follows. Then there's the betrayal and arrest of Jesus, and Jesus before the council, and then Peter's denial, and Jesus is then delivered over to Pilate. And then in chapter 15, the first part of it, Pilate delivers Jesus to be scourged and crucified. What are you going to preach on? You know, there's, there's so much in this passage of Scripture. And once a year, we spend time, dedicated time as we should, looking at the sacrifice of Jesus, what he gave for us, what he went through for us. We look at that Passion Week. We remember things on Palm Sunday, and we think and we look forward to Easter. Now, I've known, as Nick mentioned, that for probably almost two months that I was supposed to preach on something in this passage here. And as I prayed and meditated about this thing and thought about it, my mind came to a certain individual for us to focus on because we're all followers of Christ and someone that maybe we can learn something from. Now, this person was a follower of Christ, but was not one of his 12 disciples. This person was someone who teaches us something about worship. This is a person who someone who Jesus said one great amazing thing about. So, we're going to look at this passage of Scripture. I've never heard a message on this passage of Scripture. I've never had anybody expound on it that I'm aware of, and I'm sure people have, but I've never heard it. 
because it's almost, it almost becomes insignificant with what, how it happens in the rest of this chapter here and the price that Jesus paid for us. But yet, the scripture itself teaches us, and Paul wrote, that all scripture is God-breathed. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This is part of scripture. What can we learn from it? What can we lay our lives next to this scripture and see? Maybe it's something we need to be taught. Maybe it's something that we need to have be rebuked and corrected for. Maybe it's something that teaches us that we should do it over and over again. Peter wrote, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. It tells us in Psalms 119, 160, the sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. So we're gonna look at a passage of scripture this morning. Now I know some of you have Bibles, some of you bought devices, some of you just wanna read it on the screen. That's all you wanna do this morning. Well, we're going to look at three passages of Scripture all on the same subject and the same events. So we're going to look at three Gospels this morning. The first one we're going to read is the Gospel of John. Now, John was a, had, he had a first-hand view of what he wrote about here. He was right there as we read it. And uh, John wrote his gospel, though, we believe sometime between maybe 75 to 90 A.D., almost 40 years after Christ walked upon the face of this earth. And then we're going to go over to Matthew, and Matthew had, had a personal view as well. He was in this place we're going to read about this morning. And in Matthew, and Matthew wrote his gospel sometime between 55 and 65 A.D., and Matthew had this firsthand view, but it was 30-some years. And so as we read these three different versions, and we're going to hear them this morning, you're going to notice that they're slightly different. There's almost appears like there's some kind of discrepancy in them, but that's not the truth. They're all relating the truth as they remember it. Because you think back 40 years, and you talk to anybody about some event that happens 40 years ago, they're liable to tell the story a little different than you. Remember events that you didn't remember. It's just like when we built this church out here. When we came here, that education wing wasn't there. This building wasn't here. None of it was here except where the little youth room is and the hallway behind it. And then about 30-some years ago, we built the education wing. And some of the people who are here would remember when we did that, but if you sat down and you had them record what they remember about it, I can guarantee you they would write down different things. And that's the way it is in the scripture. It's what they recalled and what they remembered about it. So John chapter 12, verse 1 reads this way. It says, So six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. 
Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, Leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. Now, I would say from reading this passage of scripture that uh, John didn't like Judas very much. You know, he had some, had some feelings about what he did. But let's turn over to Matthew chapter 26 and read what Matthew remembered about this event. In verse 6, now when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask of very expensive ointment, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at table. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. And pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Now, as we read this passage of scripture, it seems to center around the act of this woman and perfume. Now, I don't know how many of you feel about perfume. You know, some people have different feelings about it. I don't know how many of you wear it or not, but how many of you have been around somebody who had perfume on, you know? Well, hands can go up all over the place. I just this past, well, last couple weeks, somebody gave me a hug and they had perfume on and it smelled really good and I complimented them for the way they smelled and then later I thought maybe I shouldn't have done that. But, uh, you know, uh, I did, you know, and, it, and she smelled very nice, you know, but. The thing is, is that this perfume in this story, did you catch, cost 300 denarii? You know, sometimes perfume can have a pleasant smell. Sometimes the smell can be overwhelming. Sometimes people don't want to be around people who have perfume. But you think about the fact my wife, I was thinking about her. She likes perfume, but there are certain perfumes she doesn't like. And I've been with her at times when we've been in this church or we've been around some people and they have what she calls musk on. And she said, it makes me sick. I get a headache. And we've had to get up and move from theaters and other places around because she doesn't want that to happen to her. It just is a smell that bothers her. You ever been in an elevator and you're riding along and somebody gets on that little 
room there with you and they got perfume on and maybe you, you breathe that in and they get off on the next floor, but what remains? The smell, the aroma of it as well. Well, this perfume was kind of a unique perfume because the Bible says it costs 300 denarii. Now, if you were to study this passage, you would find out that 300 denarii was a year's wage. Now, I'm going to tell you, that would be some expensive perfume. I can imagine a wife coming home and saying, look, honey, I bought some perfume. And the husband saying, oh, that's nice. How much did it cost? Well, it cost a year's wage. <laughs> I wonder what would happen in that situation. <laughs> I mean, you think about that today. You think about that today, whether you make 30,000, 50,000, over 100,000, that's a lot of money for an ounce of perfume. And just think what would happen if in that middle of that argument, she drops it and around goes a year's wage, a smell that you could smell and it couldn't be returned. And so was it the case here, couldn't be returned. Now this morning, I'm gonna do something very unusual. I'm going to read Mark's gospel. But if you have your Bible, I'm going to ask you to close it. Would you close your Bible? And if you have an electronic device, I'm going to ask if you would close it. Okay? Because the scripture is given to us, and we can treat it in various ways. And one of the things we are supposed to do is read the scripture. We're also told to study the scripture. We've already read two, already two versions, which is a form of, to gospel is a form of like studying it. We've talked about how much the perfume costs. That had to be looked up. But we're told it's something that we don't do in the church anymore and we don't teach much is that we are to meditate on the scripture. The very first psalm says, blessed is the man who meditates on the word of God and that we should be meditating on it. So I'm going to ask you to do a form of meditation. And by the way, you know, people right away go, oh, no, it's Eastern. No, no, the Bible was talking about this a long time ago, all through the scriptures, that we should meditate on it. And when we meditate, there are various ways of doing it. And when you find a story like this, one of the things you should do is put yourself in the story. And we taught this probably 10 years ago here at the church in a... Uh, a study that we were doing. But we're going to do the picture it method of meditation. So what you do is you try to picture the biblical scene, you put yourself in it, and you ask yourself, as you're in it, how do I feel in this situation? Is there tension? Do I feel it? Secondly, who do I identify with the most? Because we know already in this story, there's a number of people in the room. There was Mary, there was Martha, there was Lazarus, there was the 12 disciples, and there was Jesus. Who do I identify with the most? And then how, lastly, does this situation apply to me today? 
And if you read the Scriptures and you aren't making application, you are missing the point of the Scripture. God has given us the Scripture for us to learn from, to be corrected by, and to learn to walk in his way. So we're gonna, I'm going to read it, and what I'm going to do is ask you to close your eyes and to put yourself for the next minute or two in that room. I'm going to read it slowly. Okay, can you do that? Can you trust me to do that? That you close your eyes. Close your eyes. Think about this room and what's going on. And I'm going to pray as we do this. Father, help us, Lord, to enrich our lives with you and your word. Holy Spirit, teach us, each of us individually, what we need to learn today because you care about our individual hearts. Help us, Lord, to grow rich in the ways that we appreciate and use your words. Guide us as we walk through this this morning, in Jesus' name. And the scripture says this, And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard. It was very costly. And she broke the flask and poured it on his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like this? For the ointment, this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly, I say to you, whenever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, who is one of the twelve, went to the chief priest in order to betray them. Stay in that room for a minute. Ask yourself, who do I relate to? And how do I feel in this situation? Now you can open your eyes. Now let me tell you something about this. I've meditated on this scripture for quite some time. 
And in doing so, I started to realize some things. That when this, when they met in this room, there was probably a light party atmosphere because it was Passover season. Around Jerusalem at that time, people gathered with other family. They gathered around Jerusalem. I've read that Jerusalem swelled from 40,000 inhabitants to over 200,000 inhabitants around the Passover season. People put up tents. They lived in tents. They were meeting family. They were celebrating the fact that God had set them free from the bondage of Egypt. And the angel passed over. And they were probably in that room, and there was a lightheartedness, and they were remembering all these things because it wasn't the first time that this group was together to celebrate the Passover. And they were in this room. Jerusalem was alive with the Passover. Probably Mary herself was a regular figure. They had seen her around before. She had probably been walking in and out, maybe helping serve the tables. And uh, she was helping the, the disciples with meal and stuff. And probably nobody even notices her when she comes in with this flask, this alabaster flask. And everybody is talking and they're, you know, having their relationships and enjoying the evening. And she walks up behind Jesus opens this flask or breaks it and dumps this very expensive perfume on Jesus. Suddenly, the atmosphere changes in the room. There's no longer a party atmosphere because of the act, and then those who didn't even see or do it smelled it. They knew this had happened and this was running down on Jesus. And suddenly, instead of lightheartedness, as we heard in the scripture, there are those who are questioning this and saying, why was this, anoint this ointment wasted this way? This could have fed so many people if we would have cashed it in. It's worth 300 denarii. And there was now tension in the room. Others probably joined in, and Mark said they started scolding her as some were thinking these things. And I would think that there was a group that remained silent. They were trying to sort it out because we have different personalities and what had happened there. And then, how do I feel if I'm in that room about what has happened? And who do I identify with the most? The negative group who saw it as a bad thing? Those who remain silent? Or do I agree with Jesus and what he is going to say? You know, I've noticed something about our society We've become very negative. God checked me on this some months ago. We've become negative. We're negative about everything. 
We're negative about our leaders. We're negative about the people who live next door. We're negative the things we see on TV. We make critical negative comments. And that's what seems to be dominant around us in life. And the scriptures tells us that our tongue has a lot of power in it. It says the tongue in Proverbs 18, 21, the tongue can bring death or life. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. It says in Proverbs 10, 19, when words are many, sin is unavoidable, but he who restrains his lips is wise. And we can find all kinds of references like this in the scriptures. In the New Testament, James said, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. You see, when we speak, the tongue reveals to, to other humans what is in our heart. It says that. But God knows our heart before we even speak. Jesus, before he spoke, looked at that room and he saw the full spectrum of what was going on in the hearts of the people there. On one end, he saw Judas, his anger and his hatred for what happened. And on the other end was Mary and why she would do such a thing. And in between was probably the disciples trying to sort it all out. And he saw their hearts. As God sees our hearts in here this morning, some are disinterested. Some are very interested. Some in their worship were pouring out their hearts. Others were not. God sees it. And Jesus chastises the negative critics, and he commends this woman. And did you catch what he said? He said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you. Whenever you want, you can do good for them, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. And I want you to know that as I read this and remember meditated on this passage of Scripture, I could not think of one place in the Gospels where Jesus made such a statement about anybody like this. Let me read it alone and leave out verse 7. I'll read it again. Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. She has done what she could She's anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. And that last statement in there, there's not one like it in all of Scripture. That in the gospels that Jesus said something like that, that this was so important, what she did. This thing right here, I want it remembered the sacrifice that she made. And the only thing that was even close to it was when the widow might, the widow, put in her two copper coins 
And Jesus said about her, she said, she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. And what he said about this woman. You see, in the story though, Jesus wasn't concerned with what the critics were concerned with. He wasn't concerned what was in the jar. He wasn't concerned with what it cost. He wasn't concerned of how, what the perfume could have been sold and used for. You know what he's concerned with? Jesus was concerned with her heart. That's what he was looking at, and that's what he looks at in each of us. He looks at our hearts. What is in us and what comes out of us? And notice what he said about her. She has done a beautiful thing. She has done what she could. She poured it all out. She gave it all for me. She has anointed or blessed, in a sense, my body. And I wonder, and I look at myself, I wonder about all of us. Has there ever been a time in our walk becoming a member of God's family where Jesus would say that about us? It's beautiful. Doing all they could. It's just blessed me. I'm anointed by it. Not just on a Sunday morning, but every day of the week. Are we pouring out our anointing on him? Would he feel that way, the way we worship this morning? Would he say, oh, that person has poured it all out for me? You see, the real perfume in this story wasn't the liquid in the jar. The real perfume is the love that flowed from her heart, which motivated her action. That was the perfume that Jesus saw. That's the perfume that Jesus smelled. Because I think she didn't care about how much it cost. She didn't care how it could be used. She wanted to bless Jesus. And that's what we're here to do as well, to bless him, to praise him. And we go back to that picture it method, though. The last statement was, how does this situation apply to me today? You have to answer that. I have to answer that. But it begs us to ask ourselves that question. And I'll tell you this. The Lord's in this room. The Lord cares about you as much as he cared about what was going on in that disciple, in that room that day. He does. He cares about you. He loves you more than you'll ever know. He wants the best for you. And sometimes that means he corrects us because he wants the best for us in the way that we go. And he is willing to die for you, but it begs the question of each of us, how much do I care about him? What am I pouring out for him? Am I giving him all that I can? You see, as I looked at this scripture, I realized that our bodies 
are like that jar. We are the jar of clay, and the Scripture tells us that we are jars of clay. They, these bodies, they're, they're temporal. They're only going to last for a while. But what am I pouring out for him? In 2 Timothy 2.20, it says, Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some of the for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. And we're running out of time here this morning. But when I was studying this scripture, I also looked up about alabaster. And alabaster, in its pure form, is a snow-white material with a fine uniform grain. And many of the statues and things from the, from the Greeks and the Romans were carved from alabaster because it's a soft stone. And many of the statues that we see, and a lot of them are just pure white, like we see here on the screen. And that's an alabaster stone there. But what happens, though, is that alabaster can become contaminated by the elements around it. And a lot of times it has this orange look to it, like this stone right here. And it's no longer pure. It has this brown clouding and it's veining through the stone. And you know when that happens? There's nothing you can do to correct it. And so you'll see statues with that in it. But you know God loves us so much that he gives us a way to cleanse ourselves. He actually does it. But to cleanse us, when we get contaminated and we're not pure the way we should be, it tells us, he tells us that we can be cleansed. And in 1 John 1, 9, it says, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So I can be pure vessel for him. But it's something that we don't do enough. We should be doing it on a daily basis, looking at our life and seeing where we've offended God and gossip and other things that so easily beset us because we all have a sin that we're told in Hebrews that easily besets us. And what is it? Should I confess it to God or do I leave it there? Secondly, we should be filled with the Holy Spirit on a regular, daily basis. That's the ointment of God in this vessel. That is the perfume of God in this vessel. It is a perfume that gives off such a wonderful smell to others around us because it's full of love, joy, peace, patience. These are the fruits of the Spirit. Kindness, gentleness, self-control in all of them and in our Christian walk. But you know what? The other thing is, lastly, we got to let it out. We have to be a broken vessel. We can do that voluntarily like Mary did and break that vessel and just praise God and be thankful for at all times before him. Or sometimes it takes tragedy in our life that happens and it breaks our vessel. What comes out of us at that time? Is it a praise unto God? 
thankful for the past, thankful for what we're going through, thankful because we're told to be thankful in all things and give God the glory. So I just encourage you to think about what you're giving to God. Are we giving him something that he considers beautiful? Are we giving him something that he says they're giving all they can? And is it blessing him? And that begins when we receive Christ as our Savior and Lord. And I trust that you have done that. You know, at the start, I mentioned who I was. Some of you only know me as a face. That's how some people only know Jesus. Some of you know me from what you've heard about me. That's how some people know Jesus. Some of them just, some of you only had knowledge that, oh yeah, that he was the founding pastor of the church. But you know, none of that will get you into heaven when it comes to Jesus. It's only when you enter into a personal relationship and you surrender your life to him, you die to yourself, that you are born again, is what Jesus told Nicodemus, who was a very good man. You must be born again. You must be born from above. And if you've never surrendered to Christ that way, that's where it starts in life. And as a pastor, I get concerned that somehow we've given the wrong impression that all you have to do is pray a prayer and you're okay. No, it's the mission of your life to him. Then you're okay. The prayer is the door that you walk through to do it. And so I just want to close this in prayer here this morning. Father, I know in my life, I, there have been times I haven't been poured out for you. I want to be. And I pray for these people who make this church a body, that when we worship, whether we can sing a song, we can or not, we can still pour our heart out to you. When we come to gather, that, Lord, we would be a place where you are pleased and the aroma that flows from this place, Lord, would just bless you and anoint you, whether we are alone or when, or when we gather. And I pray, Father, for each individual here, that, Lord, they just wouldn't have a knowledge of you. They would be intimate relationship with you because they have died to self and allow you to live in them. So I thank you, Father, for this day. And may you bless these words and use them for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.